0: You can turn to Romans chapter three this morning as we begin. The sermon. Romans chapter three. We're actually going to be looking at several passages throughout Romans chapter one through eight. So and we're also making a turn this morning where we spent the first five weeks focusing on marriage and and all the aspects of not every aspect of marriage, but five particular aspects of marriage that we looked at. And now we're going to be looking at parenting for the next five weeks. Before we begin, let's pray. Father, we are so thankful and grateful that we have your word and that you have in it revealed your beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in him we have life and have it to the fullest, and in him All that we need for life and godliness is found. And we know that as we seek to parent, we're in tremendous need, tremendous help. Father, you know what we're like. You know how frail and how goofy we are at times. And Father, I ask that you would be merciful to us and, and teach us, instruct us, and make us like you we ask it in Christ. Amen. Do you know if you ever want to ruin your kids, all you have to do is become a Pharisee. That's it. Write that down in your notes. How to ruin your kids. Become a Pharisee. Because Pharisees, they love to appear before everyone as perfect. Pharisees love the praise of men. Pharisees heap massive burdens on people and children and that they themselves can't keep. Pharisees are nice on the outside and horrible on the inside. Or you could say, nice outside the home, horrible inside the home. And here's the thing. Our kids can smell a Pharisee from a mile away. And you want to know the only cure? The only cure for becoming a Pharisee? The gospel. That's it. And you know why? You want to know why it's so tempting to push the gospel to the side in our parenting and then act like Pharisees? You know why that's so tempting? Because we are afraid, we fear. We're afraid that our children will go to the dark side and try out things they shouldn't unless they see us as these perfect beings who on the outside try to put everything together. And we shelter them from anything that might tempt them. And we get all, all nasty over other people's sins. Because in doing that, we're operating out of fear. We're afraid they might go there. And it's our pathetic attempt at pushing them toward righteousness. We're, we're certain that this will make them go towards righteousness and hoping that they will refuse the evil because of this. You know the problem? It doesn't help out one bit. It doesn't help. It doesn't deal with the issue. It actually gives them the impression that you live in a fairy tale world while they know in their own hearts a world of temptation, struggle, Sin and darkness. Because sin isn't out there. Do you know where sin is? Right here. And as long as we push it out there and in here, in our home, everything is just nice and we've got it buckled down and right, at least that's what we're going to show the world when we step outside. And as long as the world continues to sin in really horrendous ways and we point fingers at it and hiss... And we could say, yes, that's the evil. We think in doing this that we are shielding them somehow from sin as if the sin were out there. And they know it's in here. They sense the temptation. They know the struggle. They know the darkness even within. One thing we don't want our children to do is think that we somehow skip through the daisies with a smug smile on our face acting like everything's all right. They need to know that we sin. They need to know that we are tempted. They need to know that we fail. They need to know that we're lazy at times. They need to know that we struggle. They need to know that we hurt. And they, they need to know that we're weak. Our kids need to see where the real power is found. And it's not found in putting on a facade. It's not, it's not found in acting and looking like you have it all together. But are we tempted to do that? Man, that's a, that's a huge temptation. They need to know that God knows them in their sin. I mean, they need to know that God, even in, in spite of their sin, God's, God loves them and has a remedy for them. They need to know that perfection is not the standard but rather trusting in the Lord and the power of His might is. They need to know and understand their own struggle, their temptations, their wrestling with sin. And where it is, they find grace and strength to help them in their time of need. They need to know where to turn. So the question is, how do we do this? How do we parent with the gospel? Well, the very first thing we have to understand is this. Is that you have to be straight up about sin. Because if sin isn't set in its proper context and we don't understand it, there's no way we are going to help our children or parent well at all. In Romans, in the first three chapters... It reveals this compelling argument that Paul puts forward, bringing both Jews and Gentiles, both under condemnation, under sin. Romans chapter three, verse nine. Look at verse nine through 12. It says, For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks are what? Are under sin. That all. You know, and when the Bible uses Jews and Greeks, you know what category of people that is? That's everyone in the world. Because Jews are Jews, and and Greeks or Gentiles are everybody else. And all are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they become worthless, and no one does good, not even one. And then if you jump down to verse 23, he concludes by saying, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So not one of us, no one is without sin. And what we deserve because of our sin, what, what do we deserve? God's wrath. And what do we, where do we discover this? Where he talks about this. Turn back to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2 starting at verse 5. It says, Because of your hard and penitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey the unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress. For every human being who does evil, the the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. So what is he saying? Here's the wrath and the judgment that awaits who? Well, apparently all those unrighteous bad people. But eternal life awaits who? All these good people. That's kind of what he's setting up, right? So everyone who's done wrong, all the bad people, as he said there, will be suffer his wrath and judgment. Well, according to this, this particular verse, who has hope? Who does he give hope to? The good people. Those who do good, right? But wait a second. Wait, wait, wait. What did we just read? There's a problem. There's a dilemma here. We just learned that no one's righteous, no not one. No one does good and no one seeks after God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now what does that mean? How do we conclude? That means that every single person now, according to his logic, is under the wrath and judgment of God. Because in fact, there's no one who does good. Not one. And that is Paul's point. That's where he wants to bring us to. That's what he wants to understand about sin. He wants us to come to the place where we realize what is being said here. We're supposed, you know, it's supposed to happen when we understand sin properly, we understand its relationship to God properly. We're supposed to go, wow, that includes me. We're supposed to understand that I deserve, for what my sin deserves, is the wrath and judgment of God. And we, as parents, we need to come to that place, and our children need to come to that place. We all need to read Romans 2 5 through 10 and let it sink in and realize that he isn't talking about those bad sinners out there. He's trying to come to the place where every single person understands and realizes, I deserve the wrath and judgment of God because of my sin. And that's what sin deserves. Apart from God's grace, what are we? We're filthy rags. We're rotten sinners who deserve the eternal wrath of God. And that's a a fundamental lesson. That's something we all have to understand. We have to come to the place where we we see our sin and understand it. Understand what it deserves. And it's essential that we teach our children this. Because you know we are by nature self-righteous. We love to self justify. We love to, we loved like Adam, like our father. What did our father do? He ran and he hid, and then he covered his nakedness, his shame, his guilt. And what do we like to do? Run, hide, and cover. Do you realize exposing sin, calling things sin, that that is not something we do by nature. We hate it. And so unless God reveals to us our sin, unless He opens our eyes and helps us to understand our sin and understand what it deserves, you know, we have a tendency to go through our lives to want to justify our sin, cover ourselves, make ourselves look better, not admit nor confess who we really are. And you know what? A lot of people can't stand, they hate the fact that God would judge them for that. But here's the deal. Our children should grow up in a world where sin is clearly defined, where sin is, is made manifest, where they begin to see that, hey, oh, look at this, sin is a reality. It's a reality in my parents' life. It's a reality in my life, and it's something that I have to know how to deal with. It's not something that we hide and cover. It's not something that we coddle. It's not something that we redefine and make all pretty and nice. It's not something that the outside world does and we don't do. No, sin is something we all have to deal with in our hearts. And we have to understand that it's really treason. And it's an evil against God. Ted Tripp in his book, uh, Shepherding a Child's Heart, some of you probably read it, He said he asked a young lad of 10 what would get him in the most trouble, breaking a valuable vase or disobeying his parents' clear directive. Without a moment's hesitation, he said it would be far worse to break a cherished vase. The lad has learned the values of the home. He perceives the unspoken value, that the, the prized possession vases are of greater concern than rebellion against a parent. And what's happening in that environment is sin is being redefined. It's being defined according to um, human perspective, not according to God's Word. Because in God's Word, disobeying parents, dishonoring and disobeying parents is a serious sin. And I don't find anywhere where accidents are sins. It, what's our tendency to do? we'll go freaking out about the vase and let disobedience go all day long. and so then we go and we teach and okay now we put on our teacher hat, let's go teach them about God and sin and so what we do is then we begin to talk to them about sin and in our lives and everything there's a disconnect. Sin has to be sin and has to be clearly defined by what God calls sin and then we lead we need to. Clearly call it that, define it as that, and and call those things that aren't sin and treat them as, as they are. They're not sin. So what do we do with sin and how do we handle sin? And what do we do with accidents and handle accidents? Depending on how we treat that, we're communicating and teaching and training our children values in life and what it is sin is and what it is you do with sin. And there's something else we have to be careful of is making excuses for their sin. We shouldn't tell others that Johnny is tired and missed his nap and that's why he's so crazy. No, Johnny is a sinner. And Johnny is self-willed and rebellious. But if we say that in our children, as our children get older, they're here, hmm, so that's what that is. That's merely a biological well, no, it, it comes out. It really, the, the, the monster starts to manifest itself in particular ways that we don't like because it's in public. And when the monster reels himself, we want, what do we want to do? We instantly want to pull an atom. Cover it. Excuse it. Call it something different. No, it's, it's really, this is my child, and in my child. The child is connected to the father Adam and they act a lot like me and they act a lot like others except that they pick bad times and places to manifest it. And so we do this all the time though. Whether you know, We, we make an excuse for why it is they're acting the way they're acting. Because we don't like the shame. We don't like the guilt. We don't like it. And so instead of confessing it, Instead of taking it to God, instead of dealing with it, we rename it. And we can't do that. And the truth is, if we really let's look at our children and know that they are self willed, they kick, they scream, they yell, they wreak havoc when they don't get their way. Truth? Truth. And we're, we're just like them. We're just more sophisticated. So we're just more sophisticated, aren't we? So we, we don't kick, yell, and scream because we understand how everybody would perceive that. But what we do is no different. We're still very self-willed, want our way, and when we don't get it, we have more subtle ways of getting at others. But we have to be straight up about sin we have to define it clearly to our children and call it what it is that's sin but the question is what do we do with it now what so we clearly define it we clearly straight up about it we define it as god defines it in his word and we stop making excuses for it because it's the worst possible thing can ever happen well the next thing we do is we have to demonstrate that acceptance Acceptance before God is based on grace. And here's where Paul turns in Romans chapter 3. So he spent three chapters bringing Jew, Gentile, every single person in the world under the wrath and judgment of God, and everyone's a sinner, and you all sin, and don't start to redefine it because this is who you are. You have to understand this deeply. Our children have to get it in their bones. You sin. That was sin. S I N underscore, double underscore, wrong. Bad. Now what? Well, now we have good news. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. He says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Wow. How are you accepted? How are you made righteous? How is it that you can stand before God? How? How? Is it by anything that you do? Is it by your works? Is it by your righteousness? No. We sin. We're sinners. How is it that we can do this? It is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. It's the gift of God. And Paul goes on to say, so where is our boasting? Is it in our works? Is our boasting in us and what we can do? Not at all. Our boasting is in the Lord Jesus Christ Our boasting is in God. Our boasting is in His grace. Our boasting is who He is, that He accepts me, He saves me, He delights in me, and I am His on what basis? The grace and goodness of God in Christ Jesus alone. And that, that my friends, is huge. It's huge because you know what? What we tend to do is we tend to parent on a paradigm that says that you'll be accepted, you'll be embraced, you'll be delighted in if you do what's right. A lot of times what we do is we develop in our homes a works righteousness, a works acceptance kind of system. Because we try to use guilt and we try to use shame to turn them. We try to, we try to turn them towards righteousness by, through guilt and shame. But we have to understand that that's their acceptance, their love, the fact that they're in our family, the fact that they're children of God has nothing to do with how they did that week. And you know, one of the things we have to understand our children should, our homes should be a place of acceptance and love. Not based on performance, but based on grace. A place where our children know that, hey, my children should know that I'm a helixon and I receive all the blessings of a helixon and I'm in the household and I don't get excommunicated in the household just because I had a bad week. Or I don't get exiled. But here's the thing, what, what we have to do is, and, and, and this is where when we get into discipline and the actual details of it, something we fundamentally have to understand is that when we discipline, it's not judgment and it's not punishment but correction fundamental difference you are not giving them what they deserve for their sin because what they deserve for their sin is the eternal wrath and judgment of god jesus took care of that you spank and you discipline to correct and to turn them away from it because it's not good it's death and destruction to live in it we and so we, we fundamentally have to understand that their status with us, if it's to be, you know, if it's if all is to be well, we have to understand that their acceptance and their love is not based on their performance; it's based on who, on the very fact that they're ours. But here's, here's what's interesting about that. Do you know what sin does? It breaks fellowship. Sin destroys, it's ugly, it's nasty, and it has to and it must be dealt with. If we cover it up or coddle it, you know what will start to happen? So if we don't get the first, what we just talked about right, we start messing up the second. Because we start putting so much strain and stress on the relationships in our home, there's so much undealt with sin that people have a hard time being around, and everything starts to then become looking like you have, what you have to do is you have to coat the outside well enough so that we can exist together. And there's all kinds of weird tension, and there's all kinds of weird stress, and there's all kinds of difficulties and struggles, and you know why? Because sin is not being dealt with. And now all of a sudden you can't even avoid the fact that you want this home home to be accepting and loving and gracious and kind and delightful and enjoyable and realize that it's not based on your performance. That's what you want, right? But you're trying to get that without understanding the first step. Understanding that you must understand sin, you must call it sin, you must clearly define sin, and you must deal with sin. And that Jesus doesn't just accept you and say, oh, forget the sin. No, he deals with sin. His his blood is the propitiation for our sin. He spilt his blood and atoned for our sin. Sin and guilt and shame was dealt with. And so we have to, with our children, lead them to the place of understanding that, hey, when you sin, we must deal with it. We call it sin. We confess it as sin. We turn to God and say this is our sin and we turn from that sin and start walking in another direction. And and when your house remains clean in, this, in that sense, there's plenty of confession and you deal with sin, you can... Five minutes after a spanking can be all kinds of joy, happiness, and delight. Do you know why? Because... Hopefully it wasn't just a spanking. Hopefully in the process, they call it sin, they define it as sin, they confess it as sin, they turn to God, and, and then they realize in Christ Jesus they have full acceptance and away you go. It's done. It's dealt with and we move on. We don't carry. We don't linger. We don't, we, we don't play stupid games and manipulate and try, and, and try to navigate through the landmine of relationships. If it's sin... You know what the pattern of a home should be? It gets exposed, one. Two, it gets dealt with, it gets confessed and repented of. Three, it receives the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ as applied to it. And then we move on. And so this has to be a fundamental operation of a home. How, is the, how do they get the gospel? Well, you're going to have plenty of opportunities today if your parents, or if you, if you, especially if you little children, they manifest sin real well. And so the manifestation comes out quick and easy. So it's easy. As you get older, that's more complicated. But when they're young, it's easy. There's the sin. You have an opportunity to call it sin, to confess that sin, to deal with that sin, to go to Jesus with that sin, receive grace and forgiveness, boom, and move on from that sin. You have plenty of opportunities to be living the gospel in your home. And the worst thing we can do is pervert and twist the gospel because we we just do weird funny things with sin we don't ever really confess it don't ever really deal with it don't bring about the grace and the peace and the love of Christ to the situation and then we don't move on from there and I want to talk now about the moving on from there how do we move on from there well you have to lead them you have to lead, lead your children to where the true power is found. The gospel isn't just about Jesus forgiving or God forgiving sins in Jesus. Paul goes on in in Romans to show us how it is that we, we walk before God, how it is that we live the Christian life. And he just doesn't say, you know, yeah, you sinned. Here's forgiveness. Now, good luck with that. No, Jesus actually comes to deal a death blow to sin, and and give us power, and, and really change some things dramatically. If you look at turn of Romans chapter six, because so Romans chapter one to three, all are sin sinful. All are under God's wrath and judgments. God three through uh, end of three. Through the end of 5, he's showing how we are standing before God, our acceptance with God, and our justification in God's sight is actually based on grace through faith alone. And then in 6, he turns a corner. In chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, he asks the question, because at this point, now we're starting to understand, okay, I get the sin, I get God's grace and forgiveness, but what I don't understand, it's starting to really sound like easy, easy easy-peasy, cheesy grace. You just go do whatever, So the question is, he asks, Paul says, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? That's what he says in verse 1. By no means. How can we who died to sin live in it? Do you not know that as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And then if you jump down to verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, we've, well, I've looked at this before, we've, we've talked about this. And Jesus does something, if he doesn't go and fundamentally do something with the power and nature of sin, if we're sinners from top to bottom and all we do is sin, 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 there's a problem, there's a dilemma. We're enslaved, we're in bondage, and there's no possible way of us ever walking according to God. We'll never seek after God, we won't love God, we won't delight God, we won't pursue God at all. So Jesus comes and deals a death blow to sin, but sin still remains in our flesh. So the body of sin has been taken care of. The root and stump have uh, remain and we're still having to deal with our sinful flesh. So what does this have to do with parenting? Well, we have to point our children we have to help them to understand where it is they find power. Where it is they find strength. How it is that they can move forward and walk before God. And what does he say in Romans chapter 6 through 8? He's talking about this. You will not find power if you give your members as instruments of righteousness, if you entice your flesh, if you set your mind on the things of the flesh. And last week we talked about this, and we, de- we dove into this, so I don't need to go on and on about how it is that we're filled with the Spirit. Because then he, he, he also turns the corner in chapter 8. He says, he who sets his mind on the things of the Spirit walks according to the Spirit. He who sets his mind on the things of the flesh walks according to the flesh. So what this means for our children is that we shouldn't just call sin, 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 deal with it, and have them forgiven and cleansed and know their position in Christ is good and, and move forward. The moving forward part also, they need to grow in their understanding, as all of us do, of how it is we walk in the power of the Spirit. Because one of the things that our children will struggle with is their ability. Because that's what you struggle with, your ability. In yourself, you don't have the ability and if you give your, if you preach at your children and say, you know what? You need to change. You need to buck up. You need to, you know, and we start, you know, who, who of us have not done that with kids? We get after them about behavior. We start hammering them and we start berating them. And we, we're like, because all it's going to take is for you to buck up. That's the, That's the issue here. But. They're fundamental issues that Jesus doesn't tell us that, does he? He doesn't just say, buck up. He says, listen, I've dealt with sin. Now this is how you're to deal with sin, and this is how you're to walk in the spirit. Jesus pours out his spirit to strengthen us, to empower us so that we might live. As parents, are you looking for shortcuts? Of course you are. Are you looking to get your children to the place where you want them to be nice and tight and obedient? Well, there are some tricks and things that we're going to talk about. With young kids, you can get obedience. You can get outward performance. You can get them doing things. You can say jump and have them jump. If you want to know how to get them, say jump they jump. If you want to say sit and they sit. If you want to say be quiet, be quiet. You want to say, if, if you want to get them there, you can. There are all kinds of tools and tricks to do that kind of thing. But that's different than walking in the fullness of the Spirit. That's different than walking by the Spirit. And we have to we have to not just train our children in the way they should go behaviorally, but we have to show them where the true power and resources are found. They need to know what it means to be strengthened, to be filled with the Spirit, to set their mind on the things of the Spirit. They need to know that, you know, relationships, people. Reading, listening, the things they put in their lives are very, very important. The heroes they have in their lives are very important. The channels, the things that come into their lives and, and what affects them are very important because it's feed, either feeding their flesh or feeding the Spirit. And if they strengthen their inward man, if, they, if they're filled with the Spirit, then they can walk according to the Spirit. But you know it's tempting for parents? Behaviorism. All I want is to get them to obey me. All I want is to get them to do what I say. And because that takes a lot of stress and pressure off you. And you should get them there. But if you think that's the goal, if that's the end, then you're not equipping your children. You're really not equipping them to go out into the world. They have got to know, how do I live and walk in the power of the Spirit? How do I do that? What does that look like? Because I'll tell you one thing. It won't be long before they realize the power of their flesh. Entice it, feed it, and they find a monster within them, going and saying and doing things and acting in ways that they know are completely wrong. And when they do that, do you know what they're going to be tempted to do? This is why it comes full circle. They're going to be ashamed of that. They're going to have guilt with that. And what do they do when they have shame and guilt? Well, they're going to be tempted to cover. They're going to be tempted to excuse. They're going to be tempted to say things about it and redefine their sin in categories that make it all right. Unless bold confessors are rewarded. Unless the pattern of the home is one where we call sin, sin, we define sin and we confess sin and we deal with sin unless they know that God will accept them that God in Christ Jesus for nothing that they've done or nothing that they will do their acceptance and their and their delight God's delight in them has nothing to do with them but everything to do with Jesus if they would just turn to God confess their sin to him turn from it and then they need to know where this power comes and if you do that parents if you, if you live in, God, in Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 8 and you understand those dynamics even within your own home and you understand them from the parenting, you'll be parenting according to the gospel. And if you want, the only, the only power there is, the only really good thing there is is for our children from as young as they could be to as old, to as, old as they get is to live and to walk according to that gospel. Live there you got a parent there. You've got you to have this be the paradigm of your home. Define sin. Realize acceptance before God is based on Christ alone. And know that the, how they walk in the Christian life is by the power of the Spirit. Get that into your bones. Get that into your children's bones. And you will see gospel fruit in their lives. Amen. Father, we're thankful and grateful that we are in Christ Jesus. We thank you that you've given to us and loved us in Christ and you accept us, not on the basis of anything we've done, but on the basis of what Christ has done. Make us bold confessors as parents. Teach our children to be bold confessors. Help us to understand that you accept us in Christ, not on the basis of anything we've done. And Father, may we walk and live according to the Spirit, not according to our flesh, for we ask it in Christ. Amen.